Welcome to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series, Paths to On-Farm Excellence, where we discuss priority topics for Canadian dairy farmers. My name's Stephen Roach. I'm the director and principal consultant for an animal health research consulting firm called Acer Consulting, which is based in Guelph, Ontario. I'm part of a team that's working with the Dairy Farmers of Canada to help showcase Canadian dairy farming stories, industry updates, and the latest science, advice, and perspectives on high-priority topics that relate to ProAction. You'll find this channel features a number of different series, from animal care to biosecurity and beyond. This podcast series features conversations with farmers, veterinarians, nutritionists, hoof trimmers, and other farm advisors, researchers, and many other industry stakeholders. Our next discussion takes place with Dr. Gerard Kramer, a veterinarian, hoof trimmer, and lameness researcher that now works at the University of Minnesota. I sat down with Gerard to discuss his perspectives on the importance of reducing sole ulcers by improving lying times and reducing digital dermatitis through the use of well-designed foot baths. He also discusses the importance of accurately quantifying the amount of lameness in your herd by measuring the amount of new lameness and addressing the cows that can return to being sound. So, let's jump in. Well, Gerard, it's a pleasure to get to get the chance to chat with you over the phone today and, and learn a little bit from you and, and hear your perspectives on lameness uh, from a variety of different angles. Thanks for doing this. Not a problem. It's good to talk to you again. So uh, there's many people, I think, that will be listening that, that uh, are familiar with you and, and some of the work that you've done in your various capacities and in your career. Um, but for those of you that, for those of us that don't know you, um, can you give us sort of a quick overview of who you are, where you are today, and, and your background uh, when it comes to lameness on dairy farms? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess about myself, I was born in Holland. Um, my family moved to a dairy farm in Canada in 88. Um, we operated that dairy farm till about 2007, 2008. Um, I actually operated it as part of my, um, after I finished my veterinary degree. Um, so I went to vet school at Guelph, graduated from there in 2002, um, worked in private practice as a veterinarian. Um, and that wasn't sustainable trying to run a dairy farm and do a private practice. So then I went to graduate work and that's where I kind of started my lameness work. Uh, so I did a four year DVSC, um, at Guelph related to lameness. And then after that, I decided to open up a lameness specific practice in Stratford, Ontario. Um, I did that for about five years. Um, I had an injury to my finger and then there was a job opening at the University of Minnesota that I applied for. And they made me an offer that I found really hard to refuse and was going to be like, what if I didn't do this type scenario? So I took the opportunity and I'm now at the University of Minnesota. That's been six years now, which is the longest I've held a job, but I'm still working on lameness. Um, so yeah, right now I'm working on lameness, trying to understand what causes it, what we can do about it as an industry. But my whole focus for my career is to trying to work on lameness. I'm trying really hard to focus what I teach, what I do research on, what I talked about, focus on lameness and dairy cows. Mm-hmm. 
you've certainly got a unique and, and I, you know, well-established background in lameness. And, and from, like I said before, from a variety of angles, you know, as a vet, um, you know, with a lot of experience, also a hoof trimming. Uh, and then as a researcher, I think you bring a unique perspective to the table. What is it about lameness that you find most interesting or, in, in you know, on the flip side, most frustrating? Why do we need to, to spend so much time focusing on lameness here? Um. I guess what I find about most, I guess I got intrigued by it because not a lot, many people were approaching it from a multi-factorial angle. Um, even when I was working or I was going to vet school, I always thought that veterinarians had a role to play in lameness and they never really took advantage of it. Um, so that's kind of what I got interested in. I think the interesting part about lameness is that it's so, there's so many factors that are playing. It's so related to so many other things mm-hmm. like reproduction, mastitis, um, just general farm profitability. Um, so I think if you address lameness or the things related that cause lameness, your whole farm profitability and just the ease of running a dairy farm would improve. So I think that's what I find interesting. And I guess what's most concerning or frustrating is to me, and it's probably going to come up throughout the podcast, is the number of chronic cows we have. Because I think if we can control that, our lameness problem basically goes away. So it's probably the most frustrating thing that we keep generating chronically lame cows. Mm-hmm. And so for, for those that are listening, what, what's a chronic cow? Um, so a chronic cow for me is a cow that gets seen or is lame repeatedly. Um, so that might be that she has a digital dermatitis or a soul ulcer, um, at one trimming event. And then the next time she goes through the shoot, she still has that lesion or still, um, lame because of that lesion. She might not have the same degree. So as a severity might've decreased, um, but she still has that lesion as he goes through. So typically those cows, if we're doing locomotion scoring, um, they could still be mildly lame. Um, but they're just, they never really get back to normal type things, but they're just cows that have, a lesion that they basically have for the rest of their lives. And that's the key for most lesions. Once they have, once a cow has the lesion, we should basically consider that she's been affected with that lesion for the rest of her life. So that's a chronic cow to me, a cow that had a lesion and through some reason didn't recover completely and now has it repeatedly throughout her life. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that lameness can be caused by a number of different factors. Is that multifactorial disease? Um, and often at the core of the issue or, or something we very quickly jump to when we talk about lameness is hoof health. Um, what are some of the biggest culprits or risk factors for hoof health issues when it comes to lameness? Great question. I wish we had all the answers. Um, so I think hoof health is obviously the biggest one that causes lameness in the industry. There's things like hoof lesions and injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as frequent. Um, but as far as hoof health, probably the biggest things to focus on um, that I would consider risk factors is um, things like lying time, so how much are the cows laying down or standing up, the converse. And the other thing is probably hygiene. So that's related to digital dermatitis. So we're looking at hygiene for digital dermatitis um, and then basically lying time for soil ulcers and white line disease typically. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, um, and I completely agree with you, you know, you wish you had all the answers. Um, and, and this has been a well 
studied uh, condition, um, whether it's looking at the, what are the risk factors causing it or what do we even know about the, the condition itself in terms of mildly lame versus um, more severely lame animals. From your standpoint as a researcher and, and as a practitioner, um, what does the research tell us about lameness when it comes to, and I can break this down in terms of prevention, treatment, and control. So what are some of the best practices or the evidence we know when it comes to preventing lameness? Uh, it's a bit of a loaded question. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I would argue that some of the stuff has been well studied. I think as we um, have learned more, a lot of the studies didn't account for all the chronic cows. So we're making a lot of assumptions, even about risk factors and treatments, that are based on in including the chronic cows in our um, study population. Okay. So I think that cloud some of our judgments. For example, if we look at some of the data that exists on how to properly treat a soul ulcer. So a lot of people would argue we need to use um, non-steroidals for pain control and inflammatory control. Um, when we look at the data, there's a lot of chronic cows in that data, and that clouds their judgments. So some studies say it's not doesn't really work. Other studies say it does work, and I think that's all because of chronic cows. So I think that clouds the judgment, and researchers, myself included, need to do more difficult research to truly answer questions. But I think about having said all that, I think what we do know, and we know, I would argue we know enough about lameness to make a huge difference in the industry is that if we focus on getting these cows to lie down, and if we focus on running a proper foot bath and treating lame cows immediately, so not waiting for them to, waiting for the trimmer to come or waiting until it's convenient, but treating them immediately, and appropriately, we can make a huge difference. And I think a lot of the research, if we were to summarize it, boils down to control your lying time, get cows to lay down, um, f- focus on keeping them healthy so no problems during the transition, um, and then treat them early, treat them aggressively early, and then foot fast appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. It's good. It's good comments too. I mean, it's important that we understand that there are limitations and, and biases in the the research that's done, and critically evaluate that. So it's interesting to hear your thoughts on that. And I like what you said too about about the two sort of keys there: lying time and and, and foot bathing. And if we sort of break those down a little bit, Gerard, on the lying time front, are we so focused on lying time because we want to get those the stress off of the the feet? Is that what the focus is, or is there a, is there a hygiene element at play, or is it both? Um, it's likely both. Uh, so I think, yes, we want the stress off the feet, although we don't really know like what is, how much lying time is too much or not enough. Right. Like for other reasons, we aim for like 12 hours, but I'm just doing an experiment right now. And I think to even get cows to develop a soul ulcer, we need to get down to like four hours of lying time. So that's quite severe. Mm-hmm. So lying time is important, but it's important to get the stress off, but also to get the cow's feet out of the manure type thing. So we're t- specifically talking freestyle scenarios here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a key component is just getting them off, off exposure from manure and taking the pressure off their feet. Yep. And so on that second side, when we look at foot bathing, it's a, it's a hot topic when it comes to lameness prevention. It's an often talked about one and, and seems to be in some cases hotly debated in, in terms of some of the specifics. When should you do it? How frequently? What products should you use? So can you talk to me about the efficacy of foot baths? What do we need for them to be effective? Uh, so for foot bathing, we're talking digital dermatitis control, which I would argue is the easiest one of the lameness to control. And the reason I say that is because it's pretty clear what we need to do, and it's basically to run a foot bath as much as is necessary. 
which is totally farm dependent. So I can tell you, I might tell one farm run it five days a week and another farm could have the same level of control and the same number of new cases and run it twice a week. Um, so that's somewhat dependent on the hygiene and all the other things that are um, going on. I think the confusion or the um, difficulty with control measures um, or the disagreement about how foot baths work is because we're looking for it to do both treatment and prevention. And I think the true goal should be to focus on prevention. Mm-hmm. I like to think of foot bathing like tea tipping. So we don't, a cow with mastitis, we don't tea tip her more to get rid of the infection. We treat the cow um, or we do something different to the cow. And I think the same should be true for digital dermatitis. So if we look at it that way, the data would suggest that you foot bathe, if we foot bathe appropriately with an appropriate foot bath, so people typically say, okay, what do I put in my foot bath? And the question I like to first ask is, well, what's the size of your foot bath? How long is your foot bath? Because that seems to be a key component. We need to have a foot bath that's long enough because just like tea tipping, we're after contact time. And if we increase the length of a foot bath to um, over three meters or over 10 feet, um, we typically, we've doubled our contact time from a typical normal size foot bath. Um, so you are now doing a much better job at um, increasing contact time, and we have better control even with different type products. And then the other counter er, argument is, well, what products do I use? Um, there's very little data to support most products. The products that are supported by data would be copper sulfate and formalin would be the two products. And they're both have side effects. One is environmental. The other one is human health concerns. Mm-hmm. But I would argue most of those things we can manage just like we manage risks in our lives on a daily basis. We can manage those risks related to foot baths, chemicals too. So to me, it boils down to run a foot bath that's long enough, like design a foot bath, have a foot bath in your program that's long enough, and then put in an appropriate product and then monitor the outcomes. So have data to say, okay, how good a job am I doing, right? How many new cases am I getting? Are my chronics coming back on me? So that to me is the key. Yep. And, and there's a couple things in, in there, and especially in that last comment that I think are really interesting um, in, in particular is, is, you know, benchmarking or tracking what you're seeing. You, we, we don't know the we, – we can't come up with goals. We can't, can't come up with a measure of success if we don't know what, how much we've got in the first place. Um, but uh, along with that is, you know, you talk about design something that's appropriate and really consider what's, what's best for your situation. Um, who is if a producer's got that those questions themselves? Who is it best to speak with? Because this is an area that sometimes vets get involved, sometimes trimmers get involved, sometimes other advisors get involved. Who's best to talk to, or or is it is it multiple people? Um, I would argue it should be all three of those people you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, the key people would be definitely the foot trimmer and the veterinarian. I think they need both of each other because um, some of the treatments require drug use. So that the veterinarian needs to be involved. I think the veterinarian has is typically on the farm more frequently than the hoof trimmer could be. Um, so there's opportunities there to work together. But I think the key is that um, both these people, and including nutritionists or other advisors that work together, I think what typically happens is somebody comes in and says, oh, this product works. And then the producer hears one message. And then somebody else says, oh, this product works. We should do it this way. And there's a lot of confusing or conflicting advice that's being given. And I think what advisors need to do or producers need to tell advisors to do is like, you sit down, we all sit down, we figure out how are we, how are we going to tackle this for my farm? What's the best approach? And we're all going to commit to making that work on my farm. And we're not going to 
try to undercut it and undercut each other. We're going to work together and say, it's what's best for my farm or for the farm, like farms in question, and we're going to work together to achieve that. So I think everybody has a role to play, including veterinarians, but we have to all agree to play for the same team type thing, not say, well, I'm a vet and I know better, or I'm a hoof trimmer, and what does the vet know about lameness? I think we all have things we can contribute. Yeah, I totally agree. Each each person or each group has a, a different perspective that needs to come to the yeah. table, given especially that the disease itself is multifactorial, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I, I'm aware and involved a little bit anyway in, in some of the work you've been doing on uh, looking at sort of the team dynamic. And without getting too much into the weeds, um, one of the questions that, that interests me is, so if I'm a producer listening to this and, and the recommendation from you and others is, you know, a team approach really works best. How do you go about initiating that? Does it need to be really driven by the by the herd manager or the, or the farmer in this case who needs to get those advisors together? Or should other advisors be talking to one another um, about the farm outside of that? (laughs) It's a complicated question. So I would, I think ultimately it should be farmer driven, right? Producer driven, they should be driving it because, um, and your advisors should be reimbursed for that effort, right? That should be part of how they get paid, um, those type of things. I would argue, so I tell my vet students that they should have on their phone when they're out in practice, they should have all the hoof trimmers number on their phone so that they can feel comfortable receiving and giving a call to the hoof trimmer if they see something related to lameness. Confidentiality becomes a little bit complicated when those type of things, but that's why I think if the farmer drives it, then um, that becomes automatic saying, okay, well, we saw this and I have permission to talk to Joe, for example, Joe the hoof trimmer, and I can give him a call and I should feel comfortable giving him that call. So I think the initial contact should come from the farmer, but after that, it should be ideally in the farm to say, okay, you two talk, you're on the same team, we're working together to make my farm better. Let's, you guys can communicate as often or as frequently as you see fit. And I don't necessarily need to be involved in it, but I want you to deliver the message that's appropriate for my farm and that's consistent for my farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I guess it's two things, right? It's one, it's about communication, and two, it's about building those relationships and the trust around that. Exactly. And I think there's a lot of, well, not a lot. In some scenarios, there's distrust between veterinarians and hoof trimmers for various historical reasons. And I think we have to, that has to be out in the open and we have to say, okay, that exists. And we're not, it's not, it shouldn't exist on my farm if we're working for a specific client. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to address it? Because that's ultimately what's, I think, in my experience, both hoof trimmers and veterinarians and nutritionists, we all have the same end goal for the farm. Nobody really likes working on lame cows. Um, so we all have the ultimate goal of having less lame cows on most of our farms. So I think once we make that the key priority, we might have disagreements how to get there. But if we work together and say, okay, well, I can see how you're approach to work, I'll support that approach. And we work together to achieve that approach. There's probably middle ground that we need to explore. Yeah, totally agree. So in, in Canada, one of the big things that uh, there's a lot of discussion around when it comes to lameness is um, is these mildly lame animals or a, a gate score of three. In, in our uh, ProAction program, we call these 
um, these three cows or the gate score of three, we call them monitors. Uh, and so they're indicated as, as acceptable levels of lameness, although we, we sort of identify from that score that those animals are mildly lame. And you've talked a little bit about these chronic cases as well, which I expect are especially given that they're chronic and they're probably on their path to become more severely lame if we're not doing anything about it. But if we focus in on those mildly lame animals for a moment, what what would you tell producers who are, you know, have a, a generally high level of mild lameness and how they need to sort of approach managing that and, and, and getting that reduced? Um, great question. So I'd argue those are the most important cows in your farm. Um, so those cows need to be addressed. And to me, they're indicator cows, right? If we have a lot of mildly lame cows, that means typically we either haven't treated them at the, at, in an appropriate time frame because they're on their way, like they're lame. Uh, they're mildly lame and they're progressing. And those mildly lame cows, those like cows, we can make an intervention, or I would argue we can like to make an intervention or we can treat them um, and they have a bigger chance of recovering. Whereas the severely lame cows, the best they can probably become in their life is become mildly lame. Whereas those mildly lame, there's a percentage of those that can go back to becoming normal again. But we need to treat, identify and treat those early. So if she's mildly lame today, the next day she's going to be mildly lame, but more severely mildly lame. And that kind of progression just happens. So the day she becomes mildly lame is the most important the day in that, in that cow's life. And if we treat her at that point in time, she can go back to being normal. If we wait a week, two weeks, three weeks, we don't know exactly what that time frame is. But the longer we wait, especially for lesions like ulcers and white lines, we're setting this cow up to become that chronic cow. So the mildly lames to me are the most important cows and the ones that we need to focus on. Mm-hmm. So how frequently should we be looking at, at our cows um, picking up their feet um, or, or gait scoring them? How, how frequently should producers be practically doing that? <laughs> there is n- you asked them many questions in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... So finding, so I would, so I think to reward your question, like how frequently should we be finding lame cows, I think is what you're asking. Cause there's how frequently should be trimming feet is a different question per se. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's two aspects of that. Um, in some scenarios and some herds, the hoof trimmer is the person that finds lame cows because he's picking up the feet and sees a lesion and that's way too late. Um, so how frequently should we be doing this? Um, of course we all like it to be every day. Um, I think what's realistic is that there's some sort of system. So whether that be weekly, um, every two weeks, it kind of depends on the level of lameness you have in your herd. Um, and I would not necessarily focus on gait scoring per se. I would say, okay, which cows are newly lame today and that need to be looked at in the, from the past week or two weeks, whatever that time frame is, likely every two weeks is the minimum. But it should almost be somebody's job on your farm that every second Monday, for example, let's make it every second Wednesday after offspring days, that they look at cows and they say, okay, which cow is newly lame and needs treatment? Right? And then the next day or that afternoon or that day, we look for lame cows. We don't have to give every cow a locomotion score because that's time-consuming and the utility of that is questionable. Um, but figuring out which cow is newly lame and say, okay, which cows are those mildly lame cows? Um, do they, um, they need to go through the trim shoot. They need to be looked at. And I think that's the key. So having a process to say, okay, lame cows get seen on this day on your, my dairy and somebody's responsible for looking at it on that dairy. 
So to make that happen, that means, A, you need a person that's interested and willing to do that. And you almost have to be willing to pay somebody just to stand there and watch cows. And the other thing is then it requires a mechanism to treat those cows. So I would argue every farm needs a hoof trimming chute. I don't sell chutes, but I think that's what every farm needs. Or access to a trimmer that comes on a routine basis, which to me routine, I'm willing to wait a week to two weeks if we need to. Um, but that's how frequently somebody should be looking at these land cows because the longer I wait, the more likely they're going to be chronic. Mm-hmm. It's a good summary, especially that, that last bit that, you know, the trajectory of these animals, once she becomes lame, we know which way she's going to go. So, and, the, yeah. and these aren't going to resolve on their own. So, um, yeah, I think that's really good advice. So I mentioned, you know, that we, we do know a lot about lameness and, and what causes it and some of the effective approaches that we can take to, to treat it. But uh, you've acknowledged and certainly we know that there's a lot we don't know. And, and so in your opinion, what are some of the gaps in our knowledge about lameness? And I think this is a good opportunity to introduce some of the research questions you're exploring. You know, what, what more do we need to know in order to help dairy producers out there really tackle lameness as, as, most, of, you know, as most efficiently and effectively as possible? So I think so. I'm. I think there's two approaches within industry need to take, um, with a caveat that we know. So and the one is basically we need to figure out how to communicate what we already know better. Because I would argue we know enough to make a huge difference. So the biggest thing I think we need to focus on is at the industry level, how do we communicate the knowledge, right? So how do we get what we know implemented on farm and that takes a team approach, whatever that approach be. So I won't have any research I'm trying to explore is okay, how do we get people working together? And I think that's likely the most impactful thing that we can work on is saying, okay, how do we get the knowledge we have, the knowledge that's in the literature that the people know, the experts know, um, how do we get that communicated to people in the field? So I think that's one avenue and one thing that needs to be pursued. Um, so there's different avenues to do that. Um, the other approach is more specific questions related to lameness. So I, we talked about um, those mildly lame cows and detecting those cows. Well, if we start looking critically at the data, some of those mild cows don't have any lesions when we pick up the foot. And that's really frustrating when you're looking at them, right? So you pick up a foot, you identify her as mildly lame, there's something going on with her gait, and she's in pain, likely, but you can't see anything on the foot. And that's mainly due to the biomechanics and the evolution of the disease that you might not be able to see it, but there's likely something happening. But we don't know what the impact of trimming that cow is, what the impact of giving that cow non-steroidalism, for example. And so those are some of the things that I would, I'm trying to explore. So I'm trying to create a, a model to create ulcers as, as an example. But trying to get at the questions, okay, well, how do we most appropriately treat these lame cows? Because if we know how to do that and if we know how to, like, when lameness actually starts with that cow, we can do a better job trying to answer some of these questions. For example, how much lying time, how much restriction on lying time is really necessary for these cows to develop soil ulcers? Or how much um, slipping needs to happen for a white line to happen? But the key question to me is always, okay, how do we treat these cows once they become lame? Because we're going to get some lame cows, but my goal, the goal should be, that those cows are lame for the shortest amount of time possible. And to do that, we have to, I would argue, we have to change the focus of some of the research we're doing. We have to start looking at new cases, not just all cases of lameness, which means longer studies, more longitudinal type studies, so studies that take a long time are harder to fund type things. Mm-hmm. 
And and so it sounds like really the focus for producers should be, like you said at the beginning, it sort of, I guess, brings it full circle is we really need to prevent uh, chronic cases here. Yes. So we really need to focus on those, you know, identify, early identification, I guess, and then not using, I guess, using that word monitor for, for mildly lame. That's the wrong word. We really need to take action. That's the opportunity, if you will. Right. So, yeah, we shouldn't monitor those lame cuts. If you monitor them, we all know what's going to happen. They're going to become severe. That's intervene would be a much better word to use or treat or do something. Yeah. Those cows. Because in some of the work I've done here, if we actually look and see how many new cows farms generate, how many newly lame cows farms generate, it's a much lower number than we typically think. It's because all the chronic cows that are in the system that make it seem like there's a lot of lameness on dairies. But I struggle to do field trials trying to look at a treatment or a preventative intervention because I can't create enough new lame or farms aren't creating enough new lamenesses for me to do my field studies. So I think, and I think that's true and not just where I am in this location. I think that's probably true in other places in the world too. Um, so we really need to, I would argue we need to do better research to get at that, but the better research is figuring out, okay, how do we treat these mildly lame cows mm-hmm. and prevent and prevent them? Yep. And, and again, it gets back to that other sort of component to your research, which is, you know, we still have a lot of information now that we can, we can implement or, or find a way to tailor to implement on a given farm to, to start getting rid of some of those chronics and then hopefully start tackling some of those newer cases where we're going to see more impact and probably a higher return on investment. Yep. Yep. That's, that's the key. Yep. So with the, sort of the, the final overarching question I like to ask is a lot of people in the industry will, will talk about sort of the path to zero lameness. And so, you know, we have from quality assurance programs to research projects to just on-farm goals of reducing our level of lameness. Is zero lameness a reasonable goal or an achievable goal, and maybe better said? Uh, great question. So I've done talks when I have put zero lameness in it. Um, and I, so I think... Having so zero lameness is achievable on a daily on a day basis, right? Is over, if we look at a year, we're going to have some lame cows, right? Just like on a year, we're going to have some cows with mastitis, right? But it shouldn't be a daily occurrence. We should be able to walk on a certain percentage of farms and find no lame cows, right? There shouldn't be. They might have a lame cow. They might get lame cows during a year, whatever time frame we're looking at. But on certain days, there should be no lame cows on that farm because they do such a good job that as soon as she's lame, she's treated, and she becomes normal again. Right? The reason we have lameness or 20 to 30% prevalence of lameness is because we haven't done a good enough job treating those mildly lame cows, and they become more severe, and the duration of their lameness becomes longer. So I think zero is achievable at, on certain days. Right? Is there a can we get a herd that has no lameness cases over a year? Probably not. Just like we don't have a herd that has no mastitis cases over a year or no reta- no retained placentas. But there's the majority of the days they might not have any mastitis cases, or they we should be have a goal to say the majority of days we don't have any lame cows on our dairy. We're going to get some, and when they happen, our goal is to make them be the shortest like be lame for the shortest amount of time possible. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an achievable goal, but 
we need a starting point, right? So if you're at 20, 30% now, it might not be achievable. But if you're at three or 4% or 5%, then it's likely achievable. Yep. And I like that. I mean, especially what I hear there, apart from, from what's uh, perhaps realistic in terms of an expectation is that it, it comes down to really specifying and listing out a, a, a goal that isn't, I just want to go from 30% lameness to zero lameness. That's sort of a, okay, that's pretty lofty. Well, what's realistic? What's practical? And, and chunking that out and saying, how do I get from 30 to 25 and 25 to 20 or whatever? But coming up with a plan based right. on a really specific goal, it sounds like is going to be a lot more uh, effective than, than really setting yourself up for a pretty tough challenge in going from 30 to zero, for example. Right. And I would argue that using the like the 20 30% prevalence number that people typically use that's the wrong monitor to judge yourself on right we should be saying okay that's where i'm at now and that's for, to really change that number is going to take 2 to 3 years right but we we can do things starting tomorrow that are going to likely reduce the number of new cases you get right and that's what i should be focusing on right say how many new cases am I going to create on my farm today starting going forward, right? Because those older cows, their life has basically been determined already. So we need to look at what I tell some farms I work with in a kit. We have a problem with second and third lactation cows. They're already messed up. We can't judge what we're going to do on those cows. What we're going to use to judge our new trimming program, our new foot bath program is your first lactation animals coming in, right? Because they are clean in a sense. Um, and they're a better monitor of what's going on. Cause you can say, okay, they haven't been contaminated by what we've done in the past and that's what's going forward. So, and then we can look at new cases because otherwise you're going to get frustrated saying, well, I changed my foot bath program and I still have 20, 30% of my cows with digital dermatitis. Yep, until you call those cows out, you're going to have those cows. But hopefully you're not creating new ones. And that should be, that's, we have to really critically, like you said, think about what's the best monitor for what we're implementing. Great point. I think that's really, really practical advice and, and important to, to think about when you're structuring this kind of thing. It's not just for lameness either. It's chronic conditions. You're going to have the, these things in your herd, so you need to find a, a realistic benchmark of success. Yes. Great. Well, I think that's a good place to, to uh, finish up. So, uh, Gerard, thanks very much for taking the time and giving us a little bit of your insight from your experience and, and some of your research as well. It's really valuable. I've learned a lot, and I hope others have too. You're welcome. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series. The focus of this project is to try and help Canadian dairy producers make informed decisions about animal care on their farms and support them in striving for continuous improvement. For more information, please visit the Dairy Farmer of Canada website, dairyfarmers.ca, and don't forget to like and subscribe for more content. This podcast was narrated, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Roach. Thank you to our guests and to you for listening. The project is hosted by the Dairy Farmers of Canada and partly funded by the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a five-year federal, provincial, territorial initiative. Thanks for listening.